0: Thank you. That sounds like a, an encouragement not to go too long. <laughs> well, good morning, everyone. It's a real privilege to be together and uh, share from the Word of God. And, and uh, I do, uh, despite having quite a few people here who have been familiar with Emmaus over the years, I, I will say a few words about what's going on at the moment, uh, COVID has been an interesting time for every one of us, for all of our places of employment, for um, our local assemblies and similarly at Emmaus in the middle middle of March last year, uh, all of a sudden um, things went south, right? Things went bad. Um, And as we looked around and we saw what other colleges were doing, we realized that we just had to suspend operations on campus And so all our students went home, but thankful for Zoom, for Google meetings or whatever other technology we were using and for our very flexible faculty uh, who um, sort of instantaneously pivoted to teaching online. And so we were able to complete our semester. Uh, The the teachers didn't love it. The students didn't love it. Uh, I didn't love having an empty campus. Uh, and so nobody's enthusiastic about how things have, have gone, of course, but we were blessed to be able to finish the semester, and uh, we weren't able to hold a commencement, but students did complete their work and receive their degrees, and uh, Lord willing, this spring we'll have a, a double commencement for the students from last year, and this year in a, in a large space, so we're thankful that the Lord has allowed us to continue, we continued Uh, We continued this fall in person. We opened up again. We received our students. We were fairly strict. We are fairly strict with our protocols. So, again, although none of us love it, but we ask our students to wear masks on campus unless they're in their dorm room or unless they're eating and uh, when we're in meetings. So that's part of what it's become. But we hope that, uh, and we have been hoping since the beginning, that with, uh, with the Lord's providence, that COVID will pass. It, it will in, in due time. It will pass, but it's been some difficult times and that we'll be able to relax. But we have been able to continue some of the athletics, our basketball teams. Uh, some of them, there were a few kids who got COVID or got exposed to people and we had to suspend for a week and then go back. So, But nevertheless, uh, even this week, they were in uh, Kansas, the, the ladies and the men playing against some other Christian colleges and universities. So we're, we're thankful that there's a measure of student life and fellowship. So we, we have a lot to be grateful for. And, you know, most of all, of course, our, our passion is to keep teaching the Word of God, to keep uh, the discipleship, the mentoring that we love to do. So I just thought I'd say a few words about, again, about what makes Emmaus the special place it I'm, is. I'm always encouraged anywhere I go when I meet people who went to Emmaus, whether it was 1955 or 1970s or recent graduates, and they, they tell us and they announce, you know, this was one of the best years of my life. It was a foundation, it was something I built on. And that's, that's our, our great desire. our students. That's why I'm personally there. I'm not a, quote, theologian. I mean, we all are, in a sense. The Lord's given us his word, but I wasn't trained in biblical education. I didn't go to Emmaus. I'm a chemical engineer who, after 30 years of working in industry, the Lord called me to work at Emmaus. I'm thankful for Mrs. Stratman, who helped us start the business program at Emmaus. Uh, in the year that I wasn't there yet and then continued for a number of years. And so then I began teaching there in the business program that the Lord allowed us to start. So we have wonderful kids who are now graduating and serving in local banks and other businesses, as well as people who are in youth ministry and camp ministry who are, you know, going through the Bible curriculum only. But in every one of our programs, the Bible is foundational and core to what students study. And then we've been able to add these secondary majors, which has been really wonderful. And I get feedback in our local city in Dubuque, where I I meet and mingle and serve on on a board with some other community leaders who are not believers, a lot of Catholics and other people, but they say, wow, that kid that works in my bank, you know, that's one of your graduates and he's doing a great job and he's a great testimony. And I hear that through other social agencies and ministries as well as uh, there are students who graduate and have gone into pastoral roles in churches in our region. Uh, and so we're, we're thankful for that. We love the assemblies, but we're thankful if a student comes, they find us on the web, they come, they study the Bible, they graduate, and they go serve the Lord in some place like that. So we're so blessed with that. There's, I would say there's, there's three distinctives at Emmaus that we hang our hat on and we promote on our web page. And the first one is Christ-centered education. Christ-centered education. We aspire for our entire campus in Dubuque to reflect the Lord Jesus Christ in everything we do, and that includes, I mentioned, athletics. Yes, we want to have winning teams, but no, we don't care if we're the conference champions or whatever. That's not the point of athletics. Through, through those, we have an opportunity to serve and teach people and teach them the, the art of living together. Uh, I was an assistant soccer coach for the first couple of years at Emmaus when I was teaching. And it was just a wonderful experience of traveling with the guys. Uh, I drove the bus for a couple of years and you just get to know each other in a closer way. When you lose, when you win, you cry, you rejoice, whatever you will. The guys didn't cry too much. The girls cry, (laughs) but you know what I mean? And so our uh, our entire social environment, is designed and aspiring that the Lord Jesus Christ will be reflected and that when students leave not only will have they have learned the bible in their head and hopefully memorized it as our brother was saying how many verses was it that you had to memorize at least 160 okay there there you go well but but our aspiration is that it goes down through the neck and into the heart and then out to the hands that Uh, servants are created who love the Lord Jesus Christ and want to serve him so that's that's one thing Christ-centered education the second characteristic that we really hang on is what what I would call uncompromised biblical teaching so there's there's a lot of teaching these days where compromise comes in I don't I want to exalt and lift us up as if we're better but in one sense yes I do believe that because the word of God is our guide. And today, people talk about biblical inerrancy, but they redefine the term. Inerrancy means that you interpret the Bible the way it was originally written in its original languages. We study hermeneutics, we study uh, classical languages of the Bible so that we can understand what God originally meant and what he intended. And when it comes to things that are impacting society today, such as Um, the the sexual revolution and the gay agenda. uh, There are places that now weave that in through corruption of the word of God and make it sound as if it's biblical. And we'll still say we believe in the inerrancy of scripture, but they believe they have the right to reinterpret uh, what those words mean, what some of those thoughts mean. But inerrancy means to us exactly what it is. No waffling on things like uh, creation, And all of these other things that are coming up these days that people are saying, well, Genesis really isn't what it says. And uh, God didn't create the world that way. And uh, he may have used evolution or something. We don't teach that. We don't believe that. So uh, we pray that God will keep us right on track and that there will be no diminishing of that message. And then uh, finally, thirdly, uh, what I alluded to before is the Lord has allowed us to add valuable professional degrees. In, in these latter years, without taking away from teaching the Bible, we still, that is, uh, when you come to Emmaus, it's a Bachelor of Science degree in Bible, and they take courses from their first year, through to the end, in uh, theology, in different books of the Bible, and in interpretation, and in hermeneutics, and studies, they write papers on the scriptures, and they memorize the Word of God, they read the entire Bible, so But alongside that, yes, you can finish a degree in computer science or business. So we we see people who are able to go out um, and get jobs, which is very important. If um, a family, a parent, a student themselves are gonna invest time and money in education, there are a lot of choices. And it is hard to consider going four years to a college and not knowing at the end, can I get a job for this? So uh, for those who are thinking about, you know, where do I work when I finish? Uh, Emmaus continues to present a great option as well as for those who just want to come and study the Bible for a year or study for four years. Uh, we have um, something like 15 to 20 percent of our students go on to graduate school, including seminaries such as Dallas Theological Seminary and others, and so we we're thankful. We rejoice in that too when we see people wanting to go further and deeper into the Word of God, so That's just a few thoughts, Christ-centered, uncompromised biblical teaching, valuable professional degrees, and we we trust that God will continue to bless as he has done in the past. Again, I love to hear those uh, stories, those instances of people saying that it was such a great year, it was the best year, and that the Lord used it in, in your lives, and I trust that continues to be true here. Well, Let's turn to the Gospel of John chapter 15. And what I would like to present to us with the Lord's help is a little study, maybe a little Bible study, we'll look at some sections, but starting in John 15 with uh, the concept and the teaching of the friendship of Jesus, the friendship. Of Jesus. We sang that hymn just before, what a friend we have in Jesus. And so I'd like to read the first uh, section of John 15, uh, the, the, the vine abiding in him, and down through verse 17. So that'll be a, a text that we'll read, but you'll see as we get further down the text, uh, the Lord Jesus referring to his friendship for his disciples. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified." that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As a father has loved me, so I've loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that your joy, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master's doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things... I command you, so that you will love one another. So here's the some primary verses for us to consider, uh, and the Lord Jesus here presents himself as the vine in which we should abide. And then, as we get to this passage, uh, the focus on his friend is the friendship of the Lord Jesus. He says, in particular. You're my friends if you do what I command you. You're my friends if you do what I command you. And I think um, the link to the beginning of this passage is that we can't do what he commands us unless we abide in him. So so I wanted to read this entire passage. But as we sang before, can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows all of our burdens and so we're thankful that we have uh, the resource of prayer to come to the Lord Jesus in prayer and to bring our burdens to him. He wants to be our friend. Now, uh, there's some Greek philosophy, a guy named Aristotle. not God, but nevertheless, he said some wise things, and he I thought, okay, this is, this is interesting. As we think about friendship, he characterized three forms of friendship, three kinds of friendship, and uh, friendship of utility, friendship of pleasure, and friendship of virtue. So, all right, we're getting into the thinking of old time, an old Greek person, but um, where does the friendship of the Lord Jesus fall? So, just for a moment, you think about the friendship of utility, what that means is you're friends with someone because it serves your purpose. Maybe it's because you have a job with that person or because you want something from them or because they can get you tickets to the Super Bowl. So friendship of utility is I get something out of it. I get something that I want. And as soon as I don't need that anymore, I have no purpose for that friendship. So then there's a friendship of, of pleasure, which is just for your own personal delight, you have friends. Maybe you play soccer with them, whatever it might be, but you just enjoy something about being with them, but you may not be very close. You may work with them, and so you associate with friends like that, but when you disassociate with them, there's nothing lasting about it either. And then this, this third type, uh, as contrasted to the others, is what he calls a friendship of virtue. Uh, people share values and principles that are kind of of a high moral nature. So friendship is, is, um, is not based on anything that I get, but it's two-way and it's mutual. Well, interesting thoughts. The friendship of the Lord Jesus, I'm glad that it's not dependent on my virtue. So even as we think about the different kinds of friendships that philosophers in the world might identify, that uh, the highest level of friendship that the world, uh, that a philosopher can present to us is a friendship based on mutual virtue. But as I come to the Lord Jesus, uh, I'm so thankful for his friendship and for his gracious offer of friendship and for his uh, description of what it means to abide in him. And so, even though he says, You're my friends if you keep my commandments, that ultimately his love and friendship for us is not based on my virtue. Because any virtue that we have may show temporarily. And if we have any virtue, if there be anything of praise, any virtue, as the Apostle Paul writes, really it's the power of the Holy Spirit working in my life. Uh, In and of myself, as a human being, in the flesh, unsaved, a natural person, my virtue is not something that God would appreciate. All our righteousnesses, as he says, are as filthy rags. So we have little to offer him unless we abide in Christ, unless we take to heart what, it, what is written in those earlier verses in this section of abiding in him. So nevertheless, friendship with the Lord Jesus is related in some way, in other words, to uh, obedience. Obedience and love for God are core messages of the Old Testament, of the scriptures, of course. Uh, from Deuteronomy on, the Lord Jesus asks his people to love the Lord your God with all your heart, and then he gives them the commandments, and he says to the people of the Old Testament, uh, although they were not successful in following it, but he says, here's my law. I want you to love my law. I want you to express your love for me by doing your best to follow the law. Of course, they weren't able to fully do it, but some did, and we read like in the Psalms, where David would say, oh, how I love your law, and Psalm 119 is, is a long exposition of the word of God and the love for all the statutes and precepts and everything that God has placed, but that's, that's the best they had. They lived by faith. They had the law, and, and God looked for them to obey him, and their sins were covered by the, the blood and the work of the Lord Jesus but they only had types and shadows. They only had sacrifices they could offer to look forward to that. So let's look at um, Deuteronomy 6, verse, verse a few verses there. And we'll just thumb through a few verses because the friendship of God in the Old Testament it's not it's not a it's not a frequent, frequently referred to. Item, but we'll look at some of the, the places where it's mentioned. So, um, first of all, I just wanted to refer to Deuteronomy and those verses in chapter 6, verses 4 to 7. This is what this is what the Lord gave. We, we know these verses here. O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul with all your might and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise and so forth. So the Lord gives us his word and asks us to love him and asks us to teach that love. So that's a, a basis. Now, Uh, Those verses are quoted in Matthew and in Mark and Luke. In each of the synoptic gospels, uh, the Lord Jesus himself presents it to those to whom he's teaching and preaching throughout the villages and those who come and ask him questions and come before him and say, Lord, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And different occasions where the Lord presents these exact verses that um, he says, this is what you have to do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and then he also says, love your neighbor as yourself, so let's, let's look at God's friendship with Abraham for a moment, that's a, a wonderful passage as well, God confided in Abraham, flip back to Genesis chapter 18, and there's, there's a, a few references to God's friendship with Abraham that um, is, is, um, Illustrative as we look at the word of God, Genesis chapter 18, verses 16 to 18. Thank you, thank you very much. And the Lord was about to bring judgment on Sodom because of the great evil, and the two visitors that were with Abraham, the men. It says they set out. This is verse 16 of chapter 18. And they went down. They looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. I have chosen him and commanded him. And his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. So the Lord um, confided, if you will, the Lord confided in Abraham as, as a friend. Um, and why is that? perhaps. What could we say about Abraham? Of course, Abraham is the father of faith. From the the New Testament teaching, we know that Abraham obeyed God. So, remember back to those words of the Lord Jesus, you're my friends if you obey my commandments. Abraham was one who believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. But all the steps he took the leaving of his country, the sacrificing, almost, of his son Isaac. All those things were acts of obedience, love for God, that were done by faith, that Abraham believed God. He, he didn't waver, as we read in Hebrews, he didn't waver in his belief. He didn't doubt, even though God was asking him to do some, some things that were Perhaps strange to him, but he had seen God, he had known God, God had come close to him, and God considered him a friend. Second Chronicles twenty verse seven. Second Chronicles Chapter twenty. And this is a prayer of Jehoshaphat. And we won't read more than the, the verse I'm focusing on. Um, but th- there, there is a context, but it brings out uh, the point of Abraham's friendship. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Isn't it amazing that generations later that this King who stood before the people appealing to the grace and the power of God, that this, this knowledge of who Abraham was had, had descended down. There, there aren't multiple verses in, in the Deuteronomy or the writings that they had that really used this term. There wasn't, There wasn't a lot of scripture in terms of what they had written and was passed on by Moses, but somehow it was a known fact that it would just be thrown in there at the end of a phrase in a prayer by this King to say that the Lord gave this land forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. So, oh, how, oh, how we are grateful for the friendship of God and uh, and as we read in that passage, we'll come back to as where we conclude. But the Lord Jesus also wanting to disclose Himself to His disciples, as the Lord disclosed Himself to Abraham, made His heart known to Abraham. Wanted it's kind of like let me tell you the again the passage from Genesis we looked at where the Lord was about to unload a fearful judgment. And yet he had a friend, the Lord had someone that he could look on. The Lord, do you think the Lord was uh, was excited about what He was about to do to Sodom? Wasn't it a sobering time? God had created these people. God had ordained them to have dominion over the earth and to be a light to other nations. Uh, God had aspired that people would love him and walk with him. and here this city of Sodom went completely afoul and So was God pleased in a sense? Was he excited about what he uh, had to do? Of of course, of course not. In his holiness, he did it. But in a moment, perhaps we can even see the heart of God. That is there someone I could share this with? Is there someone I could share what I'm about to do? Because I wish I didn't have to do it, but I, I have to do it because of my holiness and because of the sin. And God confides in Abraham and tells him. And so... Abraham, the friend of God, Isaiah 41, verse 8, one more about Abraham, Isaiah 41, a, well, <clears throat> a well-known passage, Isaiah 41, we mostly are familiar with verse 10, that's a well-known memory verse, fear not, I'm with you. Be not dismayed, for I'm your God. I'll strengthen you, I'll help you, I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. But look back just a few verses above as, as the Lord, again, um, speaks about judgment and the earth and the coastlands trembling and the things that are grief, perhaps, to God. But he says in verse 8, you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I've chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corner, saying to you, you're my servant. I've chosen you. I haven't cast you off. Fear not. I'll be with you. Be not dismayed, for I'm your God. I'll strengthen you. I'll help you. I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. So you get, now you perhaps see the context of this verse as well. That the Lord has his chosen people, and the Lord has those that he's judging. But in the midst of this, he reminds us that these are the offspring of his friend Abraham. Isn't, isn't that just heartwarming? That the Lord, at a time when he's judging the nations, that yet he has his chosen people. And how does he identify them? These are the kids and grandkids of my friend. And that's, you know, that's who we are. By faith, we are in that company. We're all children of Abraham, aren't we? As we come to understand that better in the New Testament teaching, in the book of Galatians and other passages, where it's understood how we're, we're brought together, but it's by faith. Our faith is what links us to Abraham. And to the extent we're linked to Abraham, we're linked with him to that same extent. We're linked to God's heart of friendship for us, which then is fully expressed in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, let's look at one other uh, character. Moses had a unique, unique, unique relationship with, with God. So, Exodus 33 and verse 11. Exodus 33 And verse 11. And this is Moses. And this section from verse uh, seven and on is Moses in the tent of meeting. And, um, We'll just read from verse 7. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise and each would stand up at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of the cloud would descend and stand at the end. Okay, I'm sorry about the uh, technical difficulties.